I discovered the other day that there are hidden messages inside some pretty major corporations' logos. So they design these logos, and they're all clever and stuff, but there's these little hidden things in them, and I didn't know they were there, and maybe you didn't know they were there either. In fact, there's BuzzFeeds about them. There's all sorts of things you can look up, but I wanted you to see these little things that are hidden that have always been there and, and, and you didn't notice. So check out this quick video. It shows you a couple of them. What? <laughs> Can you believe that? That's always been there. Who knew? knew? It's amazing to me how we, we don't see stuff even when it's right there in front of our eyes. I have a friend who coaches me out in Colorado, and he reminds me every way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. So we get locked in on something, and we ignore all the things that are around it, even though they're always, they've always been right there. Um, we, we just get locked in in a way of seeing something. We don't see something else. Maybe a classic example is this picture. Take a look at this picture. What is this? Is it a rabbit? Raise your hand if that's a rabbit. Raise your hand if that's a duck. Okay. Now you see it? Oh, <laughs> it's the other. Well, it's both, right? Like, but, but it's, it's so interesting how we quickly uh, lock in on one thing. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a rabbit. I totally see that. When other people are like, oh, it's a duck, I, I totally see that. Um, and, and it's amazing that this stuff is there the whole time, but we just don't see it. Um, I want to tell you a story today. Uh, and maybe you've heard this story before. In fact, if you've come to church on Easter before, you know this is what is talked about in churches on Easter. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's maybe something you've seen before. You've, you've heard the story. You've, you've seen how people have described it, the details. Um, but I, I, I want to suggest that maybe there's some things in there that you haven't seen. You've seen it, but you haven't seen it. You get it, but you don't, you, do, you don't quite get it. And maybe there's more in there. And I want us to look at what is in there. And I want us to see it as we read it this morning. I want us to read it and see it through the eyes of the people who were there, people like John and Mary Magdalene and Peter and these different people who first experienced that. If we, could, if we had an opportunity to just kind of get in their skin and look through their eyes, sort of being John Malkovich style, and see what they see... Let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. I think there's some really good stuff in there. We have been reading through the book of John. John is one of the four gospels, one of the four books that talks about Jesus' life and, and all of what he did and where he went. And John was the last one of the four to be written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is actually an eyewitness to what he's describing in this, in this account today. So we're going to look at what he says about the resurrection. And uh, I want us to jump into it. So John, it starts with chapter 20. Starting with verse 1, says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay, Mary Magdalene is one of Jesus' good friends. She's in his inner circle. He, Jesus did not get married to her, contrary to what the Da Vinci Code says. It's just, they were just, uh, she was one of his disciples, one of the people that just kind of followed after him. And she goes, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. She goes there Sunday morning to, um, to, to see the tomb. And she gets there, and the stone is gone, and, and she sees that uh, Jesus is not there. She sees that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and she thinks this is a very odd thing. Now, the Greek word for saw, it says, and saw that the stone had been taken away is blepai, and it means uh, saw, like filled her retinas, okay? So she just saw it, a pretty typical way we use the word saw. Uh, it filled her retinas. She, she observed that the stone was rolled away and that, and that Jesus was not there. Okay, let's go on, verse two. So she ran 
and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. All right, Mary Magdalene sees that the tomb is empty. She runs to, to Peter, and it says, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, this is John talking about himself. He's the author of the book. We don't know why he wanted to, I don't know if it was out of humility, he didn't want to put his own name in there, if he didn't want it to be a distraction. I do love the fact that he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved, because Peter is probably the most famous of the disciples. The Catholic Church believes that Peter's like the first pope and and all this stuff, so there's this whole thing around Peter and what a big deal he was, and John sort of playing second fiddle in all this thing. He He's writing the story, so he gets to say how he wants, and he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Like, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And, all right, if you write the book, you can say that if you want. So, he writes that, uh, and, then, and then look at what happens next. Uh, so, Peter went out with the other disciple. Or, uh, um, sorry, the, uh, verse... Okay, yeah, verse four, sorry. Uh, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, so Peter and John take off running. Which one of them is a faster runner? John is, and he lets us know this, that they both took off running. Not only is he the one that Jesus loves, he's also quicker. Uh, And he, uh, they were both running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, why include this detail, okay? Why, who cares about the foot race? Why include the detail? Why don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. Here's what I think is actually going on there. John includes this detail because that's just actually what happened. This is an historic account of, of an event, uh, the most powerful event in all of human history, and John is calling it like it happened, he saw it. And this is really remarkable for first century writing. Um, you don't see writing like this in the first couple centuries where people give these kind of details. These seemingly extraneous details. This isn't like uh, the way myth and fairy tale reads throughout history. This reads like a historical account. It's full of details that don't matter that much. John uh, got there first. They, 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 he ran there and got there first. And he just wanted you to know. Okay. Uh, verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Uh, John wins the foot race, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, Peter shows up afterwards. He follows John in there, but John gets there first, um, and he sees something there. And it says, uh, the Greek word here for saw is not the same word that Mary Magdalene saw. This is a different word. And the word is where we get our word theorize. So it was theorei, which means like uh, he, he looked in and it, not it filled his retinas, but he looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there. He pondered it. He reasoned about it. He, he thought about what does this actually mean? What is going on? And, and what was confusing to him is when he looked in, he saw linen cloths um, they were kind of folded up, and, and, and he was like, what's going on here? You see, when, when bodies were wrapped in that day, think of like a mummy. You would take uh, how you would imagine a mummy wrapped up. You put bandages around the body, and it goes all the way around, and it would wrap the body from head to toe, and then uh, there'd be an opening for the face. And so if you rose from the dead and you were wrapped like that, what you would do is like, ah, you know, and you'd like pull the things, and you'd like throw it there. You would throw it on the ground like you just got out of the shower, and that's where the towel goes, right? Just 
right there. That's not what John saw. When he looks in, what he sees is that the linen cloths look like somebody just ghosted out of them, and they're all in place where the body used to be. That's bizarre. And he's trying to figure it out. He didn't just see it. It says he theorized about it. He's pondering it. He's trying to figure it out. What is going on here? What, what are my eyes seeing is, is, is what's happening here with John. And then look at verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. Hey, do you guys know John's a fast runner? Uh, he's really quick. He wants you to know. I bet if you get to heaven, John, will, you will know who John is because he has running shoes on and he's got like the Jerusalem 10K shirt that he's wearing and he'll be up there. And I mean, he just won't shut up about it, will he? You know, he's like the original CrossFitter. Um, just kidding. Love you guys. Keep at it. Uh, but he saw it. He saw it and he pondered it. And he and Peter, they're both trying to like tie this all together. They're like, what... Uh, what does this mean? Now, John and Peter had faith in Jesus. They believed in him. They had traveled with him. They had worked with him. They had uh, some level of faith there. But this was a whole different level. There was, there was something else going on here. And there's a couple things I want you to see about their faith and what they get in this moment as they, as they see this empty tomb. First of all, their faith is reasonable and rational. And it, and it needs to be. Like, they, they, they want some proof um, to it. Uh, John, John has been with Jesus for three years. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's seen Jesus heal people of re- leprosy. He's heard all of the teaching that Jesus ever uh, taught. And up through John 1 through chapter 1 through 19, these different stories from the life of Christ. John has been there and witnessed this. But this is something entirely Different, And he's not going to buy that Jesus came back from the dead, rose himself from the dead. He's not going to buy that without some thinking it through and without some examination. Um, And I I think in our culture, we make what I think is a false distinction between like truth and facts on one hand and then faith on the other. We're like, look, I don't believe anything unless I have the facts. It's reasonable, it's rational to believe X, Y, and Z. You know, gravity, I believe in it because I'm held to the chair or whatever. That may not be why you're held to these chairs, by the way. There's all sorts of stuff going on there you don't want to talk about. Um, but we believe that, and we go, oh, I'm a person of science and facts and, and rational. And then we say, oh, faith, that's on the other side of things. Faith is like, you just kind of feel it, whether it's true or not, whether there's any reason to believe it. But I don't think that's actually the, the way it the way it works. I think, they're, um, I think that faith and reason are not opposed to each other. You can have reasonable faith, faith propped up with a lot of good reasons, and you can have unreasonable faith where you believe without any reasons whatsoever. You can, we, we often use the term, oh, this person has blind faith, or we'll say, oh, they've got some honest doubts, as if that's the only options. You can also have honest faith and, faith and blind doubts, right? You have blind faith. Okay, you believe you don't have any reason to believe. You have honest doubts. Oh, man, that's really hard for me to believe. But don't you also have honest faith where you've put the planks in and you've built the wall of, of, of your a reason and, and rational. You've built those things up and now you have faith on top of that. And you can also have blind doubts. Like you don't want to see what's there. You don't want to see the unseen um, because you're cynical, right? Both of those things uh, are, ex- exist. So Peter and John, when they get there, 
they get some rational planks to kind of add into their, to their faith and they, they, they get a little more reason. Okay, now I've, I've seen some evidence here that Jesus is risen, has risen from the dead. So their, their faith was rational. The other thing is it was uh, personal. Their faith was personal. It, it says they saw, um, they believed in. The, the other disciple, he looks in, he believes in, in this. Now the word in in Greek um, it really could translate a little better as into. And we wouldn't say that in English. You wouldn't say you believed into something. But it does sort of imply a, a deeper level there. They didn't just believe in, oh, I, you know, I believe in gravity. I believe in, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, whatever. Like, you, believe, you can believe that something exists. But believing into is when it becomes very personal. And, and you, 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 you own it in, in a different way. Uh, John believes into Jesus, and it changes his life. In fact, he goes out and preaches about the resurrection for the rest of his life. Um, the resurrection changes everything for John. It, it changed the course of his life. And for John, the resurrection means that there is a creator, that there is life after death, that there is hope for the future, that all of your failures are not final, that your flaws don't have to go eternal, but that there is hope for your future. John gets that, and the, and the place that he gets at is in this empty tomb when he sees the resurrection, and he sees that because Jesus came back from the dead, we can also. Um, John understands that there's life beyond this one, and that there, this isn't all there is. So let me ask you, do you have a reasonable rational, personal faith? And have you figured out this puzzle that is the meaning of life and the purpose of life? Because John gets it in that moment. Have you gotten that? I don't know all of you in this room, but here's what I believe is true about all of us. All of us struggle with and are bothered by questions of meaning and purpose in life. All of us wonder is this all there is? Is there more? Am I made for something more? Is there something greater going on here? All of us have that. No matter who you are, if you're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or vegan, you still believe that there's something more out there. Y'all laugh, but my vegan friends are religious about it, yo. It's, it's, there's, you, you still believe there's something more out there. And it, and it kind of nags at you. You still wonder is this all there is? And I believe God has put eternity in our hearts. And he's, he's made us in such a way that we're going to long for and, and look for something greater. Now, you may, you may say, uh, no, I don't believe in something more. That's silly. That's just wishful thinking. I'm a person of reason and rational uh, scientific facts. And even if you are the most rational, cold, hard scientist, I believe in every piece of the whole evolutionary story, and therefore I am basically just a very highly evolved mammal. You may believe that on paper, but you don't live that way. You live as if things matter more than other things. You live like, hey, I should love my kid and not hate my kid. You live like, hey, I should love and serve people, not exploit them. Because if you really thought you're just an evolved mammal, why not exploit everyone? Why not survival of the fittest, go get yours and not worry about anyone else? But you don't live that way. You may believe it, but you, you, you don't live that way. You believe that there's, there's something more. 
even if, you're, if you, even if you say there's no resurrection from the dead like Jesus did, even if you say God doesn't exist, I think you're still haunted by something more. Now you may say, Chris, I'm not, I'm not haunted by that. Well, maybe not, maybe not right now. There are plenty of distractions in our culture, so you don't have to think about this question about meaning and purpose. There's a school that you have to, you're kind of on the school train, and then you get to college, and you got to chase that degree, and then there's getting a job, and then there's looking good at your job, and then there's getting a date, and then there's looking good at your date, and then there's getting a spouse, and there's getting a house, and then there's having kids, and there's just distraction after distraction. There's, there's a, a set plan for your life, basically, it feels like in this culture. There's boxes that you check along the way, do these things, and, and go after these things, and you can pursue after all of those things, and all of those things will be a distraction to you of the question of meaning and purpose. Because you're pursuing that stuff, because there's so many trinkets, because there's so much comfort, because there's one more show to binge watch on Netflix, you can do this forever until you die and never really address the purpose and the meaning and the what am I here for. You can push it to the back of your mind, but it's still there. It's there like a splinter. It's there. And so you need to ask the question. Now, you may not want to ask it today. Today's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. There'll be people with funny hats on Monument Avenue. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great day, right? So you're not gonna ask the question of meaning and purpose. But all it's gonna take is for you to get a diagnosis from the doctor that you don't want. Or someone you love gets that diagnosis. Or you hear a symphony and it moves you. Or you see art and it challenges you. Or you sit there and see the sky touching the mountains. And you see a sunset and you see the sky painted in every color of the Crayola crayon box. And I'm talking about the big box with the sharpener. When you see every color in the sky, there's going to be something in you that goes, whoa, this is bigger. There's something more going on here. There's a longing in you. There's a restlessness that won't go away. And and you need to think about that because it's going to keep popping up. C.S. Lewis, um, Christian apologist writer of the last century, is a little bit of a long quote, but I want you to see. he, He says, man, there are these things in life that point us to something greater, and what should we do about it? Look at what he says. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of a copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press onto that country and to help others to do the same. What is Lewis saying? There's more. There's more. You have hunger. You have desire for it. And the fact that you desire for there's something out there points you to, man, there's something out there. Now, you would expect C.S. Lewis to say that. Christian writer, apologist, wrote in the 1940s and 50s, great stuff. And you would expect me to say it because I'm a preacher. But let me 
have you hear it from a few other people in our culture who are struggling and who are wondering about this question of meaning and purpose? How about Jim Carrey, actor and comedian? He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. There's an emptiness there, right? He's pointing us to. How about Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt, in an interview with Rolling Stone, he said this, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. We got to find something else. I'm the guy who's got everything. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. Brad Pitt, guys, he's doing all right. And he's talking about impotence and isolation, desperation, and loneliness. How is that guy ever lonely? How does he ever feel that? There's plenty of people that want to be around him. And he's saying, look, I've got it. And this isn't it. The other one I think of, and I I read this a few years ago, Tom Brady. Tom Brady lives the American male fantasy. He is good-looking, and he's a successful quarterback. Maybe the best that's ever played the game. We can argue that later if you want. We're not doing that right now. Um, maybe the best that's ever played the game. And, and the dude wins. And wins Super Bowls. Unless he's playing the Giants, he wins. Okay? So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, a, a couple, uh, going back and watching the Super Bowl this year, the Falcons were, were way up if you watched it. And Tom Brady looks like they're going to lose. I'm like, man, this is a lot to come back from. Um, and I, I sent a message to a couple of my friends in a, in a group on Facebook, and I, I said, um, hey, guys, I know this looks bad for Tom Brady, but just remember, at the end of the day, he's going to go home with a supermodel, and he goes to this house, and I put up a picture of his house, which is, that's Tom Brady's house, and uh, I was like, so don't feel too bad for him, like, he's going to be fine, no matter how this game works out, and he goes and wins that game also, you know, like, cementing his legacy or whatever, and you'd think, oh, man, this guy's living the male fantasy American dream. Ah, that must be amazing. Well, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes when he had only won three Super Bowls. Listen to what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. There's a longing and a restlessness in us. And you think, oh, let me just hit the top of my career and then I'll feel better. You won't. It'll still be there. Listen to the people who have hit the top of their career. That won't be the answer to meaning and purpose. So what is the answer? Where is there hope to be found? I do know an atheist answer to this question. I, uh, I heard Christopher Hitchens um, I actually watched that on YouTube. Christopher Hitchens debated Frank Turek, who's a Christian apologist, about existence of God. And they did it at VCU back in 2008. And you can watch it on YouTube. Go look that up. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is funny. It's very witty, dry, British, uh, very smart. He was, he was a really smart guy. And a famous atheist, I guess you could say. And, and, he, and he argued during this debate about how God doesn't exist. And, and if God does exist, he's awful, like God's evil. Um, and kind of goes through this whole thing. And he makes some good points. And you get into that. And I, and I thought it was so interesting at the end of this debate. They asked him, 
some, a Q&A, someone from the audience got up and said, hey, um, I'd like Christopher to answer this. What, um, what is the meaning and purpose of life then? If you're an atheist or if I'm an agnostic or whatever, what's the purpose of life? And I'll never forget his answer. Hitchens said, this, this is a rough paraphrase of what he said. He goes, oh, I don't know. Sex is pretty good, but even that has diminishing returns. And, and that was like it. What's the meaning and purpose of life? I don't know. Sex is pretty good, but even that has diminishing returns. Now, look, if I'm speaking and I'm trying to win a debate and I'm speaking to a group of college students, that's a great answer, right? That's like throwing red meat out there, you know? You're like, ah. Like, if I heard him, I'm a college student hearing him, I'm like, I don't know if he's right, but I love this guy. Let's go get a beer later. He's got good answers to the meaning of life, you know, like, whatever. But it's so empty. His answer's so empty, there's, the emperor has no clothes. There's nothing there. There's just this vast nothingness. And maybe Christopher Hitchens is right. Maybe there's nothing. Or maybe the Christians are right. And maybe there really is something. Maybe there really is hope. Maybe there really is a future. Maybe there really is resurrection. Maybe we weren't really meant to die like this, but that we will actually live again. And you can doubt both stories, and you can believe in both stories. Whatever story you believe about what the future is going to be and what the purpose of life is, you're going to have doubts. doesn't matter what story you pick. You're going to have doubts. That's just part of what it means to be a finite human being. But I believe that Christians are believing the better story. I think we have hope, and we have a future. We believe that we're made for something. We believe we're made to live again. For a guy like John... His faith got personal and rational real quick. Up to, John, up to John chapter 20, you see miracles from Jesus and teachings of Jesus, and all of that is interesting. But if it hadn't been for John chapter 20, if it, hasn't, if it hadn't been for the resurrection, all that stuff would have faded into history. Jesus would have been one more teacher who was killed by the Romans on a cross. No big deal. Romans did that all the time. But because he walks out of that grave and comes back from the dead, everything changes. John's life changes. John is the only apostle who doesn't get martyred for his beliefs. He dies an old man. He writes several books of the New Testament. He goes to Western Turkey. He lives in Ephesus for a while, um, exiled to the island of Patmos, writes the book of Revelation from there. And John dies an old man. And I bet if you could have asked John as a very old man, hey, tell me about Jesus, he wouldn't have told you about the miracles. He wouldn't have told you how Jesus walked on the water or calmed the storm. He wouldn't have told you about Jesus' teaching. The first thing John would tell you about if you met him as an old man, he would say, that dude was dead, dead, and he walked out of the, of the grave and was alive again. He was dead, we had lunch later. Like that, that's the game-changing thing. That's the heart of this. It's not teachings, it's the resurrection. Jesus has walked out of the grave, he's alive again, and it changes, uh, it changes John's history, it changes ours. John can now see the unseen. He can see what love looks like. He can see what hope looks like there at the, at the resurrection. He sees the grand narrative and purpose of his life. Seeing the resurrection for John was what I, I would imagine it would be like for Hamlet to see Shakespeare. You go, oh, there's like an author to this. There's a, there's a story. I'm, I'm a part of something bigger. So John's faith became rational, rational, reasonable, and, and personal. Let me ask you, has, has, has the resurrection of Jesus become reasonable and rational 
and personal to you. Everything takes faith, okay? Not just this. Everything takes faith. The War of 1812, did that happen? I think so. I wasn't there. They wrote it down somewhere. Someone said it happened. I'm going to just believe that. Everything takes faith, and we all have faith in things, things that we can't even believe 100%. I can't even tell you with 100% certainty that my wife loves me. I think she does. She seems to have proven that over 19 years, but I, don't, I, can't, I can't ever be 100% on, on, on hardly anything. All things require faith. The question is, is it a reasonable faith? Do you have a reasonable faith? If you're not a follower of Jesus and this is new to you, let me ask you this. Do you have a reasonable faith in this God-Jesus thing? And if not, why not? Why not? Is it because you don't have enough proof? Oh, if I had enough proof, then I'd believe in Jesus. Is that true? I mean, you can, you can say, oh, Chris, you're reading the Bible. I don't trust the Bible. It's been, trans, it's been translated so many times over thousands of years, and, and I, don't know, I don't know if I believe that, and, and, and someone come back from the dead. Come on, that's ridiculous. Like, you could say all of those things, but here's the reality. Those questions have been addressed. You can find answers to those things. Is it because, do you not believe in Jesus because uh, there's just not enough proof? Or is the reality, you just don't want to. You don't want to because you're afraid of the demands that he might put on your life. That's, that's the reality for a lot of people. Is we just don't want to believe. And if you don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you only need like one fact and you're good. You only need one, one out. Oh, I mean, I would believe he rose from the dead, but that's this one thing. That's silly. All you need is one to, to believe what you already want to believe. So do you have a reasonable faith and, and do you have a personal faith. Because you can know about this Jesus thing and not care. Just like I've known about Syrian refugees. That's a problem. There's bombings. There's things going on in Syria. There's ISIS. There's all this. And refugees from Syria. That's bad, right? I should care about that. But I just haven't much. Because it's not personal to me. I don't know them. And then 10 days ago, I was in Turkey. And in Turkey, I met them. Three million of them have gone into Turkey. While we argue in this country over a couple thousand, three million have gone into Turkey from Syria, Iraq, and I met them. I met them in a ministry there in, in, in Turkey where they're helping them with food and job skills and, and, and different things and trying to support and love these people. And now it's personal to me when you say Syrian refugees. It's personal because I can see their faces. And the people who were there serving these refugees were there because of Jesus. I don't have to tell you that. Because of what we're reading today, because Jesus rose from the dead, there are now people in Turkey serving Syrian refugees. I know that doesn't seem like a direct line connection, but it's true. They were there because this matters, because we have hope and we want to share it with the world. And I met some people. It was like, this was just the most normal thing in the world. Of course I'm following Jesus, and of course I would serve people who were in in, in great need. So if your faith is not personal or rational or reasonable to you yet, come back next week. We're going to talk about what happens next because this isn't the end of the story. There's a chapter and a half left of John and I want to tell you about a guy named Thomas who was pretty skeptical about the whole thing and he needed more proof. Come back because this story is too important to ignore, to just check it off a box on Easter Sunday and say, that's it. There's too much there. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, let me say this. Have you made this personal? Have you made your faith in Jesus uh, actionable in your life? Or are you still living the way the rest of our culture lives where our culture tries to suck you down? Because American culture is loud and it's strong. 
Are you living the same way as everyone else or, or has this resurrection changed you? You know, I think Christians of all people should be like the video I showed you with the logos. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. You'll always see that little arrow in the FedEx logo. You're always going to see the 31 in the Baskin-Robbins logo. Um, if Christians of all people should be able to see the stuff that is unseen. We should have almost this sixth sense about us. When we hear a symphony, we love the music, but we also praise the God who made it. When we see art, we go, man, that's incredible. I can't believe God orchestrated that and put that together. And that way, when we see a mountain or we see a sunset or we see the ocean, we don't just enjoy the science of the moment of the sun coming down and the ball of gas that it is 93 million miles away and all of those things. We also enjoy, man, I can't believe God paints this way and that he does this for me. And he does this for humanity and gives us an incredible, beautiful world and a beautiful universe to explore. We, as followers of Christ, should see the unseen. When people say, hey, I look at a sunset, I don't see God there. I'm like, how can you not see God there? It's like the logos. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. So today we walk out of here and we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the the life-changing, game-changing thing that that is. Because Jesus lives... I can be fully alive. Because Jesus lives, I can have hope. And because Jesus lives, I can now see the world in a a completely new way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the resurrection that we celebrate today. The hope that we have because Christ came back from the dead, we, we too can live a new life. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.